please remain standing. David is here, uh, right here, to read our scripture for us this morning. Our scripture comes out of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word. Make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. Now, O oh God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just mention to those of you who are joining in online, we understand that our, our video is not real great this morning. It may have something to do with our internet outages over, over, the, last, over the last week and a half or so, and so we apologize for that. Uh, at this point, there's not a whole lot we can do, but hopefully you are able to hear us uh, this morning, and it's probably fortunate that our video is not working very well. Uh, those of you who are in person, you would you would probably appreciate that the that my face would be a little bit more fuzzy. That that might be that might be helpful to everyone. So um, George Whitfield and John Wesley are two large and looming figures among the Methodist movement. John Wesley obviously was the founder of the Methodist movement as United Methodist, uh, as those in the Methodist Wesley tradition. We look back to, to John Wesley as an important figure in our, in our heritage. Uh, he, was, he was the one that really started the Reformation in the Church of England that, that finally birthed the, the Methodist movement in America right around the time of the, of the War of Independence in the States. But his contemporary, George Whitfield, is one that looms just as large. George Whitfield was known as the better preacher, although he was 11 years younger than John Wesley. They were contemporaries. So when Wesley left Oxford, he left Oxford, uh, that college there, uh, he left to come to America on his missionary journey. He left George Whitfield in charge of those early Methodist bands there uh, and, and classes there and, uh, on, on the Oxford campus. And, and so um, Wesley deeply, deeply trusted Whitfield. They had an interesting friendship. 
Uh, they, were, they were deep and abiding friends. And in fact, when Wesley left Savannah, Georgia, when he came to America on his, on his, missionary, on his mission trip, he left as a, as a disgraced minister. You know who followed Wesley in Savannah, Georgia? It was George Whitfield. Whitfield was the, was the next pastor there in Savannah. Whitfield made multiple, multiple trips to the United States. In fact, even died here in, in the United States. But over the years, they had a number of disagreements. One of those disagreements was, uh, was over Calvinism or Arminianism. Uh, Wesley believed that, that all are, are free to choose. We, we, we are free to choose whether to accept God's grace for ourselves. Uh, Whitfield, however, was, was more of a predestinarian. He was more Calvinistic in nature, saying that no, no, you do not, or you're not able to choose whether you accept God's grace or not. God, God saves you or he does not, and it's all completely up to God whether God will save you or not. You are one of the elect or you are not according to George Whitfield. And so they had significant disagreements over theological matters. George Whitfield, however, was the one that invited Wesley to come outdoors and to preach outdoors for the very first time. Wesley was a high churchman in England, and if you can imagine that, he was a I mean, it, this was high, high church. He wrote in his journal, journal that he thought it would be improper for someone to come to saving faith outside of the four walls of the church. He believed that things should be done properly inside the church, but it was Whitfield that invited him to come and to preach to the unchurched, those who were the poor, those who were, did, were not wealthy enough to come into the church. And so Wesley began to preach outdoors and began to see thousands upon thousands upon thousands being being converted to Christianity. And one of the things that Wesley, in his theology, he believed that, that the moment of our salvation, the moment of justification, the moment that we come to faith in Christ is not the end, it is just the beginning of the journey. And that was a little bit different view than what George Whitfield had. He believed that, that um, the, the whole goal of of the church, the whole goal of ministry, in fact, the whole goal of everything was to, was to get people into the kingdom of God, to get them to make a decision for Jesus Christ. At the, well, so what Wesley emphasized was that there was growth that occurred after conversion. And that has been a hallmark of Methodism and the, and the Methodist movement from the very, very beginning days. Wesley put, his, put uh, those that were converted under his ministry, he put them into small groups, into societies, into class meetings, into bands. He put them into small groups where they would be able to, to disciple one another because he knew Again, he knew that the moment that you make a decision for Jesus Christ at the altar is not the end of the road, it is the beginning of the journey. And so when Wesley died, when Mr. Wesley died, George Whitfield said this, My brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in societies, meaning small groups, meaning discipleship small groups, and thus preserve the fruit of his labor. This, Whitfield said, I neglected, and my people are of a rope of sand, he said. And now all these 
um, 300 years later, almost 300 years later, 250 years later. We have the Methodist Church. We have the Wesleyan movement. We do not have the Whitfield Church or the Whitfield movement. Because again, John Wesley understood and he took very seriously the emphasis of growth after becoming a Christian. Whitfield understood that without growth after justification or salvation, people will tire and falter and fall away. But here at Oklahoma City First United Methodist Church, we are committed to growing together. We are committed to growing together. And, it's just, and that's not just a, another way of talking about community, which is important, or, or another way of talking about, uh, about Bible studies or Sunday school classes or small groups or personal devotion, which are all very, very important. No, we are committed to growing deeper in our walk with Jesus Christ, whatever, by whatever means necessary. And, and, and indeed, all of those things, Sunday school classes and small groups and daily devotionals and personal devotionals and, and, and reading the Bible and praying, all of those things are vitally important. But with the end in mind is that, that, that we grow in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We believe that it is imperative to our faith, and we believe that we can only grow deeper in our faith when we do it together. We are better together. We are better together when we grow in our faith than we are apart. We're continuing this short sermon series as we examine the, uh, the, the purpose or the mission of Oklahoma City First United Methodist Church. Last week we saw how we are, we are, we are so very committed to connecting, connecting with God and connecting with one another. This, we're, this week we're looking at how we are called and how we are committed to growing together, growing in our own faith through Bible studies, through prayer, through personal devotion, all kinds of things. But the most important thing is that end in mind that we are committed to growing deeper and deeper and deeper in our own spiritual journey. Our scripture today, our scripture today is very, it sounds very similar. If you might remember back to last Sunday's scripture, it sounds very, very familiar with what we examined last Sunday. That we are, we are a, a part of the, part of the same body. We have, we have different, we have, we have, we have different parts of that body, but when we are all under, under the same head of Jesus Christ, he talks about not being children that are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every doctrine. I, I, I'll tell you, that sounds a little bit like our culture, doesn't it? Whatever is the newest thing around the corner, and I would even say, not just our culture, but I would even say the, the church across the West and across America being tossed to and fro by every kind of new doctrine that's, that's coming uh, down the road. I think it's one of the things that we are facing as a United Methodist Church, as a denomination. There are some who have gone off, and, and, I, and in my perspective, have, have started following some, some bad doctrines, some, some new false doctrines. But, but we hope and pray that we are 
We are staying true to the core doctrines of Christianity, but not being children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by, by every doctrine, but we are called to grow. We are called to grow as a body into the head, grow together that the body itself can be built up by, can build itself up by love, the author of Ephesians says. So we are called to grow. We are called, um, I preached a sermon very similar to this a number of years ago, and I titled, I entitled the sermon, Grow Up. I don't know that I would quite be quite so bold uh, as with uh, one of my previous churches, but it was a message that they needed to hear. They needed to hear their preacher stand behind the pulpit and say, grow up. Um, Again, I'm not sure that I would be quite so bold here at Oklahoma City First Church, but we need to hear that word, that we are deeply, deeply committed to growing in our faith. I have found, I have found that, I, I, that our culture, especially young adults, they want things that are deep and abiding. They want things that are deep and abiding. Are you familiar with podcasting? Podcasting is, is I mean, it's just exploded. The number of podcasts that are out there have absolutely exploded. And there are a number of podcasts that are, that are short-form podcasts, maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, but the most popular podcasts are not just an hour. Um, the, the most popular podcast, Joe Rogan's podcast, oftentimes is three hours long. He is able to go, he's able to dive deeply into, into different topics. I believe that our culture is hungering for things that are deep, that are, that are, that are, of, that are of deep and significant meanings. I believe I believe that the church is is absolutely ready to reach the next generation when we are ready when we are ready to go to go deep. Let me let me talk about this in in more in more specific terms if I may. American Christianity is likely the broadest the broadest form of Christianity in the history of the church outside of theocracies or countries with a state church. Did you, get, did, did you hear that? I, it is my contention that the American church is the broadest Christian church that we have ever seen in the history of Christianity outside of those theocracies, outside of those church or outside of those countries where Christianity is the state religion, or if you're going to be a citizen, you are required to be baptized into Christianity, or where there is a state church, like in, like in Great Britain. Uh, in Great Britain, when, the, when the, there, is the, there is the Church of England, and especially up until around 75 years ago, the, the, the Christianity was was countrywide. Everyone, everyone in Great Britain was a Christian. They were all members of the Church of England. It was the state church. Obviously, in the United States, we don't have a state church. We are a democracy. We are, we are free to choose however we want to practice our faith. But in America, Christianity has, is, is the broadest, is the broadest among all of other countries. 
Christianity has the broadest reach in America than in any other country in the world. But I also propose that we also have the most shallow form of Christianity in the world. When you have celebrities thank God while accepting awards for filthy or vile movies and books and music, I, I tend to think that their faith isn't real, genuine faith. When you have politicians using a blessing by God as a tagline to every single politi political speech in the, in the last 50 years, it shows that their faith seldom goes deeper than the service. When you have celebrity preachers publicly showing off their extreme wealth, it's a, it's a sign of the shallowing of the Christian faith in America. Eleven years ago, researcher George Barna launched the, his most difficult research and survey project ever. He tried to determine, he tried to determine through his research and through surveying thousands of Americans, he tried to determine where Americans are in their walk with God. And throughout, throughout this multi-year survey and research project, he began to recognize that there were really 10 touch points along the way when it came to where Americans are in their, in, in their faith journeys. And so I wanted to share those with you uh, real quickly this morning. So these are the 10 touch points of George Barna's research from 11 years ago. Uh, the first, he says that there are some people in America who are completely and totally unaware of sin. They don't understand. They have no concept of right and wrong. That's only 1% of Americans. Only 1% of Americans don't have what he might consider a moral compass. 99% of Americans, we know what's right and what's wrong. We, we have some sort of, uh, some sort of, an, Amer uh, of, an, of an awareness of, of sin or even of our own sin. We are aware of our own sin. We recognize that we, there's something wrong with us. We are sinners. 99% of Americans believe that, that they have sin in their life. The next touch point, he says, is that there are some people who they know that they are sinners and they know about sin, but they're just simply indifferent to sin. It doesn't matter one way or another. They really, they really, I mean, they, they know that they do things wrong, but they could, really could care less uh, that they do things wrong. They really could care less that other people do things wrong. Eh, they just, they're, just, they're just indifferent to sin. There, there's another, however, 39% of Americans who are, who are worried about sin. They're worried about their own personal sin or the evil in this world. Those are the, the first three touch points. The, the, next, the next couple of touch points. Uh, there are people on, on kind of a, the touch point number four is that they believe that they have been forgiven from sin. Nine percent, nine percent of Americans uh, really are at this touch point. They, they would kind of affirm everything that's come before then, but then they come to the conclusion that they are, they're forgiven of their sins. They're forgiven of their sins. The next point, touch point number five, is that they are not only forgiven of their sins, but then they are active in their church. 30, or 24% of Americans believe that they are forgiven of their sins and they are active in their church. But then there's, uh, uh, there's there are four more, five more touch points here. 
there are some, not very many, who come to this holy discontent. They know that they are forgiven. They are active in the life of their church. But there's this holy discontent. There's something else going on. They believe that there's something else for them. It, it's, it's not just... They, they, they're not quite satisfied with just having one time many years ago prayed a prayer at the altar. There's something else. There's a holy discontent there. There's 6% of Americans are at that touch point. And then there are 3% of Americans, uh, Barna says, that have been broken by God. Oftentimes there's a tragedy that comes into their lives or they are so, they, they've come to, a, to, to such a crisis point with their holy discontent that they have been absolutely wrecked by God. There's 3%. And then there's another, there's 1% that have come to the point where they are, they have surrendered and they have submitted to the very will of the Lord. And then only 0.5% of Americans believe that, or as, as, as Barna begins to, to understand his research, 0.5% of Americans have a profound love for God and then another 0.5% of Americans have a profound love for, for other people. And so if, if you put all of this together, if you put all this together, and when, when, if, you can, if you can make this out, if you can put all this together, if, if, you, if you look at the first two touch points, really three touch points, people who are unaware of sin, people who are indifferent to sin, or people who are just simply worried about sin, but they've never done anything about it, we would consider those the lost in our country. And really, this research really matches up with other research that has gone on. 57% of Americans, they really have no faith system at all, at least when it comes to Christianity. These are, these are those who, um, they, they may even, I mean, now I'll tell you, they may even say, well, I'm a Christian, obviously, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm an American. And so when it asks for a religion, they'll mark down Christians, but they have no active, part, Christianity has no active part of their lives. 57% of Americans are what we might consider the lost. And then those next two touch points. Those next two touch points, people who are forgiven for, from sin and people who are forgiven and active uh, in church, that's 36% of Americans. And then finally, that, that last segment, those last grouping of touch points, those who have gone on past their salvation, those who have, who, who, who've, who've come to recognize that they're not just, just forgiven, but, but we need to we should be, and we must be growing after we come to faith in Christ. According to Barna's research, there's 11% of people, 11% of people in the United States who are, who are actually transformed or growing in their faith. Now again, here as Methodists, let me put this in Methodist terms. Let me put this in Methodist terms. The first group of people indeed would be, would be the lost, those that, that stand outside of the Christian faith. The second, the second group of touch points would be those who, are, who have experienced justifying grace, those who have experienced salvation. The last group of people, the last group of people are those who have, who have experienced or are experiencing sanctifying grace or God's 
God's uh, inner work of the Holy Spirit and transforming us into the very likeness of Christ. So here's, here's, what, here's what difference here's what difference this, this makes. So, so I, again, I want, I, want to, I want to point you to a couple of things. It's no accident, I don't think, that the second group is really a quite large group. 35% know that, they are, know that they are sinners, know that they have been forgiven, and they, they don't know anything else to do other than to be active in, in their faith. You're, you're a sinner. You need a Savior. You pray this prayer at the altar, and now, and now get involved in the church. And that is such a vital part of our faith. But we believe that that is only the first half of the gospel. It's the first half of the gospel. It's not the entire gospel. The first half of the gospel is that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins. But we believe that there is a second half of the gospel. Not, not only are, are we forgiven of our sins, but because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, we have been freed from the power of sin in our lives. That's the second half of the gospel. And most Americans never get to the second half of the gospel. We, we continue to, to stay right there with the first half of the gospel. Well, I'm just a sinner. That's all I'll, that's all I'll ever be. That's all I'll ever be. I mean, I know I'm saved by grace. And then so I guess I'll get involved in the church and try to, try to just live out my life in the church. But you see here at Oklahoma City First Church, we understand. We understand that God has called us to continue to be transformed by the powerful, by his powerful grace. We have been called to no longer be, be children that are, that are, that, that are uh, tossed to and fro by the, by the waves and by every passing doctrine. No, we have been called to mature in our faith. We have been called to grow in our faith. And we have found when we grow in our faith, we must do that together. We are better together when we, when we grow in our faith. Let me, let, me put it, let me put it this way. The gospel comes in two great movements, believing and becoming. We are called to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are also called to become like Him. Does that make sense? We're called to believe in Jesus Christ, and that is so vitally important, but it doesn't end there. We are then called to become like Christ. The great tragedy of the present-day church is that people is that most people will, will, go to the, will, will go the first half of the gospel, but not the second half of the gospel. They make a decision to believe in Jesus, but they do not become real disciples of Jesus Christ. Our churches are filled with people who profess saving faith in Jesus Christ, yet all too few live into the sanctifying fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let, me say that. let me say that again. By the way, that's a, that's a quote by my good friend J.D. Walt. Let me say that again. The great tragedy of the present-day church is that people 
will go the first half of the gospel, but not the second half. They make a decision to believe in Jesus, but they do not become real disciples of Jesus Christ. Our churches are filled with people who profess saving faith in Jesus Christ, yet all too few live into the sanctifying fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we at Oklahoma City First Church are committed to being about. When we say that we are, we are about growing in our faith, that's what we're talking about. Again, we're not just talking about growing with one another and growing closer to one another, and we're not just talking about growing closer to God. We are talking about being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are talking about so falling in love with God so allowing the Holy Spirit to permeate our hearts and our lives, then our lives and our actions are changed and we become more Christ-like. That's what we're committed to being. I believe, I believe that, that, that our culture is, is done, is done with shallow faith. We have seen the results of shallow faith all across our culture. People who say that they are Christians, but they have, they, 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 their lives are no different now than they, were before the, than they were before they began to profess the Christian faith. People are looking for something deep and meaningful and real. And if we're going to be the kind of church, and if we're going to be the kind of people that God is calling us to be, we too must be deep and meaningful and real. Our faith must go beyond this. Our faith may, must, be, must, must have roots that run deep down into the Spirit. We must be committed we must be as committed to the second half of the gospel as we are to the first half of the gospel. We must be committed just we must be as committed to helping others grow in their faith and us growing in our faith as we are to reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. By the way, we we better start with the first half of the gospel. No doubt in my mind, we better start with the first half of the gospel. We better be committed we better be committed to reaching the lost. But we also, we must be committed to not only reaching the lost, but also seeing lives transformed. Seeing lives transformed. You wonder, I mean, you may, you may be asking, and you may have even completely forgotten about it, but early in 2020, I announced an initiative for us to begin to start thinking about small groups and community groups that we used to have here at First Church. And then... COVID happened, and that was put on the back burner. You may, be, you may wonder, why in the world does the preacher want us to have small groups and community groups? What, what in the world is that all about? It's all about the second half of the gospel. Because what I found in my life is that I cannot and I will not grow in my faith when I'm alone. It takes other people. We are better together. We are better together than we are apart. And so my hope and prayer, my hope and prayer, as we begin to think about ministry in the coming year, as we think about ministry post-COVID, the church is going to look very, very different than it looked pre-COVID. As we begin to think about uh, the church 
post-COVID, I hope that you will join with me in committing that you too, you too are not only going to grow deeper in your own faith, but you're going to do everything that you can to help others grow in their faith. That we can focus on the second half of the gospel. Would you bow with me? Oh Lord Jesus Christ, we, we recognize today that for so many of us, we have been for far too long, we have been relying upon a decision that we made for you years and years and years ago. We prayed a prayer at an altar years ago. And we're in. We've got that insurance that we needed. We, we've got our ticket into heaven. But Lord, you're calling us to something far, far deeper. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would put within each one of us a holy discontent on this day. Put deep down into our souls this recognition that something's not quite right. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Help us all to hear this, this wooing, this calling of yours to come out into the deep. To begin to live out the gifts that you have created us with. For us to begin to be the full body of Christ under the head of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help each one of us to answer this question. If not today, when? You're calling us into the deep. You're calling us to step out in faith. You're calling us to get serious about our faith. You're calling us to grow as faithful disciples of yours. If not today, when? Oh Lord, continue to call us into the deep. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.